Welcome back to MicroConf On Air. I'm your host, Rob Walling. I'm excited to get going today. It's been a few weeks because I was doing some traveling. The MicroConf team was on the road for a MicroConf local in London. But as you know, almost every other Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we live stream for about 30 minutes. And we cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to maintain healthy relationships. I am excited to, uh, in a minute, to bring Brad Coffee. On the, I love, there's a pronunciation guide for his last name, like the drink. Brad Coffey is going to come on the show. He's the chief customer officer at Pipe. And we're going to talk about the capital climate in an economic downturn. And we're not going to stay high level like a lot of the, um, I think you hear a lot of punditry going on today. Yes, inflation's high. Um, and, uh, you know, funding rounds, certainly in the, in the, the public markets have, um, you know, valuations have decreased and then funding rounds in later stages are starting to be impacted. We're yet to see that in the early stage, but I, I, th- I, it's coming or if it's not, you know, kind of here already, I think, you know, in the next, uh, really any time. And so whether you're, you know, as you know, microconf is for bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped companies. So there's a chance you might be thinking about raising funding, but um, I think Brad offers unique insight into, you know, how to make subscription businesses work, how to think about how to grow a company uh, during a downturn, and um, and then just talking through, you know, what funding options are if you decide that you do want to double down on your business during this time. So Brad is, as I said, Chief Customer Officer at Pipe. Pipe is a revenue trading platform allowing companies to trade their recurring revenue for upfront capital. And prior to Pipe, Brad was the chief strategy officer at HubSpot. During his time there, HubSpot grew from a startup that was less than $1 million in ARR into a publicly traded company with a $1 billion in ARR. And he also spends time angel investing and advising startups. So with that, let's bring Brad onto the show. Hey, Brad. Hey, Rob. Thanks for, thanks for joining me today. And folks out in the audience, um, if you have questions for Brad or myself, as we start to cover these topics or, you know, questions about <laughs> any of these things that I, you know, just mentioned in the intro, feel free to uh, paste them in the MicroConf on air channel in our Slack community or obviously in YouTube comments as well. So, Brad, I think I'd love to kick us off. I covered it um, briefly about, you know, the funding ecosystem is, is different than it was four months ago, right? Yeah. So you want to just give us from your perspective, because I know that Pipe has, you know, some pretty unique insights into this landscape, given your yeah. reach. Just give us kind of an overview uh, that we can dig into of, of, of how things yeah. are different or, you know, what they, how they look uh, as you see it today. No, I think I actually thought you covered it uh, pretty well, a, a little high level, but I think you're seeing, you know, what we're seeing too, things were in a little bit of the land of excess, Last fall, uh, you know, particularly just, you know, with the the macro environment the way that it was, there was a lot of a lot of money in the markets. A lot of folks were trying to put that to work, uh, and I think that we've seen, particularly with inflation, that uh, that the sort of the demand and supply has really gotten out of balance from a sort of macro level. From if you're the Fed sort of level, right? The uh, you know, between COVID and the war, Russia's war on Ukraine, and some of the supply chain issues, just supply has kind of continued to be constrained while demand has gone up, especially as COVID has lifted in some parts of the world. So spending has increased and that's caused inflation in the year of the Fed. Well, what are you really going to do? 
right? You can't magically unlock a bunch of that supply side of the equation to sort of let that come go. So your only option is really to constrict demand, right? And that's what effectively raising interest rates does, causes people to save money as opposed to spend it. Uh, and so I think what we're seeing is almost exactly what you said, that first really whacked the particularly the unprofitable sort of high growth, you know, public equities, uh, you know, many of them are down 60 or 80%, you know, which is kind of crazy to think about. You never would have thought that uh, back in the fall. Um, and you're starting to see it come down a little bit to uh, the private markets, at least on the equity side. So, you know, first, you know, some of those big crossover funds are sort of pulling out of those late private stage deals. Um, and you're starting to see, I haven't seen it quite as much um, sort of on some of the earlier stage deals. I think a lot of stuff is still getting done on the equity side there. Um, but you're starting to see it come down. And I'd say when, when we talk to customers, you know, certainly that's a certain class of folks. You know, if you're, if you're a growth stage company and you're planning on trying to raise a, a lot of money in Q2, Q3 here, like, ooh, okay, like you need to take a, a beat and maybe really start thinking about extending your runway or, or coming up with some alternatives. I also think it really impacts a lot of the, you know, maybe, you know, bootstrappers or some of the other businesses that try to sell to those folks as well. You know, if you see what advice, you know, every SaaS high growth company is getting right now is, you know, don't make small incremental changes, but like make the big hard changes right now. You know, you're seeing more layoffs, you're seeing folks really pause spending. And I think that's going to start to trickle down to other businesses that try to sell to those high growth equity stocks as well. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that is an, you know, an advantage um, that bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped companies have is they don't, they're not planning for that next round of capital. Their survival yeah. does not depend on it in the way that you're, you know, you're talking about, you know, fast and bolt and, you know, just these, these ones exactly. that are dropping 5 million a month or whatever it is. So, um, so that's a good point. But, you know, for bootstrappers, then they have to think about their unit economics and cash flow, right? And you want to talk us through like your thinking on, on that topic? Yeah. So I, I mean, I spent a lot of time thinking about unit economics. I'll say when I, when I started in, in SaaS myself, like a decade ago, I felt like I knew nothing about it and uh, have learned a lot. And, you know, for any of the businesses that are out there, if you are a recurring revenue business, SaaS is about half of our portfolio at Pipe. Uh, the other half, but it can be subscription D2C or, or other things. Um, but what I find most interesting about subscription businesses versus, you know, services or, you know, consumer goods or something like that is, is there's two big differences. One is that your payback period on your cost of goods sold, I just think is extremely long. And it's a really interesting problem to think about. So you spend a dollar in sales and marketing today and it's pretty easy to calculate actually at a high level, just take your, your sales and marketing line item out of your P&L divided by the number of new customers and you've got your, your cost of customer acquisition. And you compare that to the amount of profit that you're gonna make from a customer each month in that subscription model. So, you know, if it costs you $10,000 to acquire a customer, maybe you're getting, you know, $1,000 out of them. Maybe you're making, you know, $700 or something in a month of profit. And you just, you, you, you map that out and, and very typically like the best in the world SaaS companies, it's like a 12 month payback period. Most are 18 to 24 months. And I've, I've seen many that are even longer than that. And it's, I think, really interesting to think about. And, and I feel a lot of employees at the SaaS companies that I talk to, the founders and CFOs you get, a lot of the employees don't really get it. You know, it's, it's June of 2022 right now, right? You're going to spend 
$10,000 to acquire a customer. You're probably going to spend a lot more than that to try to acquire a, a lot more customers than that. And man, it's going to be probably 2024 before you even make a dollar profit on that customer. And that just seems like such an astronomical far away thing that's like hard to wrap your head around. And really, I think it's hard for SaaS companies to fund that in a lot of ways. And that's what a lot of what we try to do at Pipe, and maybe I'll come back to that in a second, is how do you think about solving that working capital, that growth capital gap there? And then the other piece is, I just think, you know, you actually don't know what that lifetime total value is going to be. So if you know you're spending $10,000 when it costs a customer acquisition, it's okay if it takes 18 months to get payback. If you know that customer is going to stick around for five or eight or 10 years, and you're going to get a ton of profit on the backside. And that's just really unknown for a lot of SaaS companies. They don't really have a good grip on it uh, for some of these subscription businesses. And so what we spend a lot of time doing is trying to help businesses understand themselves that way, understand their payback period, how much capital they need, what is that burn that they're doing each month? And then what are their options in order to get that? I think for some you know, equity is a good good option, even if it's like a seed stage or something like that. You know, particularly if you're early on, trying to take some is good. But there are other options. Um, I feel like the the sort of Twitter audience has celebrated sort of venture back lending and not enough bootstrappers. Um, but we really love bootstrappers and we think it's a good business. But we can still help them grow a little bit faster, uh, getting that capital need they need to grow. Yeah, I think that makes sense. We have a question coming in from Zach from YouTube. He's asking what kind of tech companies slash markets do better in an economic downturn? And yeah. I, I, well, I think it, so my answer is it depends on what's, what the driver of the economic downturn is, right? It's like in yeah. 93, I'm old enough to remember there was a big downturn in 93 and it was a, a real estate overbuilding and, and then the markets, it, it's always like one thing starts and then, oh, and then someone declares war or, you know, and it, it puts this uncertainty in the market and then the markets start tumbling and then people don't have as much cash. So then they pull back on spending. So 93 was real estate. 2000 was dot com. Oh, <laughs> Boom. Uh, 2008, nine was the worldwide financial crisis. 2020 was COVID, right? The pullback in March, and yep. it was very short. But then this one is, we could go into all the reasons, right? There's too much money pumped into the system, blah, blah, uh, blah. So I do think the answer is it depends a little bit on what's causing the economic downturn. But I'm curious if you have additional, you know, additional thoughts beyond that. No, I, I would say, uh, I would agree with that. And then I think it's also, I think you got to think a little bit of the second order effects. Like I actually read something really interesting about the, the 2000 crash, right? And like, it was not just, Hey, you got a bunch of pets.coms that you know are sort of you know held up without a real business model behind them. But all of these other companies that were funded that only sold to them. And they basically yeah. sold to each other. And so it was a little bit of a house of cards. And so I think when you think about it, the companies that are gonna do fine in a recession are the ones that either sell goods where they don't quite have that same elasticity, where there is just a little more sort of like steady consumption over those goods over time or maybe even ways that you can be a little anti-cyclical. So like, you know, if, you know, the world suddenly, you know, stops spending, you know, billions of dollars on Facebook and Google ads, but needs other ways to grow, can you help companies grow in other ways that are, are not just spending dollars, but helping people spend their time uh, or helping getting discovered in different ways? I, I do think there are sort of certain businesses that appeal to it. Um, you know, I'd say also I've noticed over time that, downturns can be a moment that get people to sort of sit up in their seats a little bit and say, Hey, actually like, let me review my business and make sure that I am 
applying automation in the right ways, that I am sort of conserving costs in the right way. And if you have a business that can enable that, I think you can actually try to grow through that downturn successfully. Yeah, that's what I was going to throw out was, you know, there's the aspirin and the vitamin categories of apps. And obviously, um, vitamin apps, people uh, during a recession, if they're thinking about or a downturn, they're thinking about conserving capital, they're going to put off some put some things off until they feel more flush. And those are the, the vitamin types. But, you know, if I'm a gym and I need software to run my gym and check people in, unless I go out of business, I'm going to keep paying for gym desk, right? <laughs> you know, and, right. Uh, which is a, a SaaS that we've backed. And similarly with, you know, when I was running Drip, I'm sure it was the same at HubSpot. People didn't cancel their trip account. They, they had their email list and they were marketing to them. And maybe they pruned, you know, they'd come in and, well, these people aren't, you know, you know, they wanted to shrink it to pay a little less. But we didn't see higher churn during, you know, we, there, was, there was not a prolonged recession while I ran it, but there was um, exactly. a couple of big drops in the stock market, stock market over those years. And we were a fundamental piece of a lot of people's businesses, right? And so while those things are often harder to build because there's more competition, you need more features, and there's more, comp uh, you know, you're penetrating a market that's difficult and you're now mission critical. So when you go down, everyone's mad versus these vitamin tools are awesome because when they go down, it's like, eh, they can wait an hour to, yeah. to put their social media image on whatever, you know, but right. so th there are pros and cons to this, but I definitely think that like having a mission critical app that, that is an aspirin as well as subscription businesses. Bottom line, like I used to run software, a software company that was one-time downloadable software is 350 bucks. Yep. And yeah. we had, when the 2008-9 crash happened, I lost 80% of our revenue from November to December that year. And it was just like, what happened? Yeah. And suddenly we were doing, you know, again, 20% of the revenue because it was one-time sales and people weren't buying stuff. Versus subscription, yeah, people are going to go cancel a few things they're not using. But realistically, unless they totally shut down, we're, we're all paying for the same subscriptions that we, you know, we usually do, I think, unless it gets really, really bad. I think that's right. And I think you actually a really good point about sort of, there is, I think, two types of sort of tech companies. One are those ones that like it's a harder sell because it requires a bunch of change management to get implemented. But once you're implemented, you're quite sticky versus, you know, there's a, there's a strong appeal with product-led growth and everything these days that have sort of apps that I can just like try immediately and they're sort of very loose. But I find many of them are then not those ones that end up being those mission-critical apps and, and can sort of fall by the wayside if folks get busy or um, less focused on their use cases. Yeah. We have another question from Joe in MicroConf Connect. What is the value of pre-downturn revenue growth versus new revenue growth during the next, he says, 18 months? Yeah, I, th I think that's interesting. And um, I'll say one of the things that I, I think is important about, uh, I'll just sort of speak from a pipe perspective uh, and how we think about it. I think there's a, a new wave of folks that are like us where you know, we are sort of very um, sort of metrics oriented about this, if I can say that, you know, where what we focus on and folks that sort of heard a little bit of the intro, but what we allow folks to do is trade recurring revenue contracts. So if you've got one of those subscription contracts over the next 12 months, we can trade that on a platform for cash today. But how we do that is it's not a lot of like our gut opinion or like, you know, maybe going to one of your local banks and getting a loan or something where it is very subjective and maybe they are applying sort of a difference between pre downturn versus post. But I think it's, we are very focused on having you connect your, your payment system, your accounting system and your bank account. And then using that, we can pretty quickly, but it's very metrics oriented, 
around understanding what kind of runway do you have, what contracts do you have that we can help you trade, and then being able to pull that back in without sort of having a lot of subjectivity to it. And so I think you're seeing there's a wave of you know, alternative financing that is more of that orientation. Um, I think if you are more going for a loan or going for equity, folks might start to pick that apart a little bit. And in my experience, it's really around a sort of a cohort basis, really understanding sort of each month, how many new customers are you adding and then how are those retained over time? And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, you would want to look at that sort of in the context of your own business. And I think any investor would, and sometimes they'll see sort of recession growth as stronger sometimes mm-hmm. depending on who you are. Um, maybe there's a little asterisk next to it. Um, yeah, I think that's a good perspective to think about. Well, I mean, when I think about a bootstrapper, like or mostly bootstrap company, I think, you know, the value of pre-revenue downturn revenue versus revenue now is pretty much the same. It's a dollar for dollar because you're not, you know, if we talk about it, then if you if you say, well, what about in, you know, a series A, maybe right. it is different, right? But um, I don't think most people watching this, this show right now are, are to thinking about their series A, right? I do think that um, obviously angel rounds and, and early rounds, let's say in the 150 to 500, those are, I, I'm still seeing them happening, but I am feeling pullbacks because people can't, you know, oftentimes I would sell crypto to invest in a startup or I would sell stocks to invest in a startup. I'm not selling anything right now, right? And I think a lot of people have that mindset. So uh, it, it is it is a little tighter. We just don't know how long it will be and how tight it will get. So I think, again, bootstrappers like cockroaches survive these things because they just have that ability. I um, think that's right. And a big part, the sort of, if there was sort of more message that I was hoping to deliver folks today is like, there's a little bit of just resiliency that I think a downturn can do. And I do think it's smart to sort of at least spend a cycle thinking about the worst case scenarios and could you survive those, right? That sort of default alive, like, oh yeah, if things did get really tight, could I go there? And if you're one of those very resilient businesses, you might come out the other end and not everyone's gonna make it, and, you know? And so there's there's a level where you wanna start at that baseline and then you can start to see, hey, actually, like I'm starting to see over the next couple of months that things are fine for a business. And in fact, I do wanna start investing in growth. And here is the capital that I might need to pull forward with pipe or to sort of get from some other source in order to invest in that growth. But starting at that sort of baseline default alive, I think is the right sort of fiduciary duty almost of most CEOs to make sure that they're ready for. Right, right, that makes sense. Uh, we have another question coming in right now, and let me see if I can parse this. I think um, so. Many sellers, so many SaaS vendors. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but many SaaS uh, operators are leveraging the two months free discount on annual plans as a selling point. So it's mm. like you get 12 months of service for 10 months of yeah. uh, payment, right? And they then they get they retain those customers for obviously the longer contract period, and they get all the cash up front. Some of Pipe's marketing talks about not needing to offer that discount. Do That's you? Right. And that, but I think the question it said, do you see any concerns about losing that marketing from your customers? But if you go through Pipe, it doesn't. You don't have to, right? Because you're able. And I understand. Actually, let me just explain Pipe in the way I understand it. Like in two sure. sentences, I heard a founder tell me they basically um, uh, Pipe hooks into your Stripe account. And mm-hmm. you said bank account and other and financial, but let's just say simple looks into your Stripe account, and I can go pick a customer who's currently paying me monthly, and basically trade or sell that annual contract. And it Pipe is a two sided marketplace where you have yes. s- subscription operators, and then you have investors like my, I myself uh, c- could come in and do that and offer yep. money, and. 
then so there must be like the market is setting the percentage discount i would imagine because there should be some there has to be some difference between you know i'm not getting a full 12 months right That's whether right. i'm getting 11 or something and that difference then is what i'm sure pipe takes the cut of that and and then the investor gets a piece That's of that right and so we will we'll plug into your stripe account we do need sort of the bank and accounting information too because that's how you sort of rate the health of the company and so part of what the secret sauce of pipe is is not only can we do this sort of automatically and sort of with technology integrating to your systems but it is sort of this ratings model to say hey how healthy is this business and it's that ratings model that we've sold to the banks and on the buy side where it's like oh here's here's how healthy we think these different tranches are and then the banks will invest into different tranches of that and so if you're a super healthy business you'll get a certain price and maybe it's you know you're just you're talking about it in a number of months it could be sort of you know uh, you know, how much you're getting 90 cents on the dollar, you're getting 95 cents on the dollar, you're getting 85 cents on the dollar. But there are different amounts, you know, based on those risk categories. Uh, what we typically find is it is much cheaper than trading, you know, two full months, you know, for, for cash up front. And I think that's the way that businesses traditionally have operated. If you read like, you know, Mark Benioff's Behind the Cloud, which was a, a little bit of my Bible in the early days of feeling SaaS, like, them actually charging 12 months up front was a big way they got the cash they needed to grow. Um, but, you know, and so we, we followed that playbook at HubSpot. I'm not sure if you did a drip, but it was like, hey, where we needed to, particularly to sort of have folks uh, stick around for retention reasons, we tried to push the 12 months up front. Over time, and if you think about where, where things are now, uh, you know, and it's 2022, I actually I've, I've thought think very differently now about it, you know, and in a downturn, what I would recommend to most SaaS companies is like, don't give away a ton of your top line revenue, you know, with discounts on annual plans. I think, you know, back in the day, so we, it was like 30, 35% was an average annual discount that we had. It was, you know, you're giving away a That's third a of your revenue. It's a lot, right? And instead actually provide more flexibility for your customers, maybe still have an annual commitment, but at least from a cash flow perspective, and I think you can do that. A lot of founders are scared of this annual commitment monthly payment, but get an annual commitment, but have them pay monthly, have more flexibility in the way they pay for that, you know, and then come and then come back to pipe or come back to, you know, somebody else and then trade those contracts to the extent that you need that cash flow up front. And you'll be able to do it at just a much cheaper rate than locking those customers in. And by the way, also slowing down your sales cycle, asking for all 12 of those months up front. Got it. Yeah, it's an interesting way to think about it. I had heard that the range, the rates are in the five to fifteen percent range. That's what someone had told me. I'm I'm not quoting you on that, but as a founder who had had talked, right. and obviously, um, if you're given two months free, that's about just under seventeen percent discount. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do twenty percent, and in enterprise, they do like you said. You said thirty to thirty to thirty-five, which I've I've certainly seen. Yeah. It's interesting. So let's compare then, because I know let's compare pipe. Sure. with revenue-based financing, because sure. I know that Pipe specifically does not want to be called revenue-based financing because right. there are some pretty significant differences, right? Sure. So I'll, I'll tell the audience for folks, RBF, and it's this kind of new thing that came out. I mean, it's been around for several years, but it's really become to prominence in the past couple years. Um, there's what, SaaS Capital, Lighter Capital, Bigfoot Capital. There's like 30 of them, 40 of them that I know now. And in essence, once you hit around 15K MRR as a SaaS company, uh, that's the bottom, bottom end I've seen anyone do, you can um, go to one or more of these companies and get a quote and they'll say, well, we'll lend you up to four times your MRR, five, six, you know, there's some number in there. And then 
we hook in, I believe they hook into your Stripe account usually, and they pull mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. four to 6%. This is where I'm a little fuzzy of your top line revenue. And you pay that back over two to three years or whatever the amount is, right? So that's revenue-based financing as it is. I could see Pipe being lumped into that, but it's yeah. it's not. It's it's a different thing. So t- t- tell me if my understand if you feel like my understanding of RBF or explanation is is accurate or where I'm wrong, and then just talk through the, like the thinking you know but of the difference between the two. Yeah, I, th- I think that's you, you described it correctly, right? So you basically you're getting a loan in revenue-based financing, and depending on how fast you want to grow on the out years, you're going to pay a percentage of that until you repay that loan. Um, and I think it's actually a really good model sort of in many cases, particularly if you're, you know, an e-commerce, you know, D2C with no subscriptions, or if you're, um, you know, maybe a services business, if you're different types of businesses, you know, Pipe, we specifically cater to subscription-based businesses where there's a predictability to these contracts. And so instead of it being something where, yeah, your revenue might go up or down over time and you might need to spend more or less. We are just taking a, a cash flow that you've got that you know that you're going to get over the next you know three, six, 12 months. And what we're doing is, uh, you know, what would be traditionally factoring is a term that some of this audience might know, right? Like you might have invoices that are coming in and they're, you know, due in 90 days. And a lot of companies in traditional supply chain will actually sort of trade that account receivable and get a portion of the cash in. That's effectively what we're doing at Pipe, only for subscription businesses. So we're trading that 30-day, that 60-day, that 90-day, the 120-day contract all at once, giving you the cash. And so it works somewhat similarly. Uh, I don't know exactly how each of those revenue-based financing works, but we, part of yeah. us plugging into your bank account is we can pull that each month once you get in. So unlike maybe uh, some of these others where you need to sit in the middle of that transaction, mm-hmm. You know, our vendors, as we call them, right, the SaaS companies, recurring revenue companies that work for us, their customers have no idea that they're using pipe on the back end, right? And so it's all coming into their systems. And then we're just pulling that exact contract that you traded when we see it out um, from from those vendors' bank accounts. Right. That makes sense. I'm glad you brought up factoring because I remember when I first heard about pipe, someone was asking me and I was like, yeah, it's like factoring for SaaS. And I said that a few times and then I forgot that term, but that's exactly what it is. And that's, I think, for people who understand what factoring is. That's right. And there's different terms for that, right? Like, so is sort of, there's no personal, you know, loans against it, or there's no covenants. And like, we can actually, it's a much cleaner uh, sort of transaction because you're actually trading fundamentally factoring is trading a real asset. You know, you're trading an asset on our platform, like you would a right, mug right. or anything else. Right. Well, that brings up an interesting point too, then. So let's say I have you know, a thousand paying monthly SaaS subscribers, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I pick ten of them in this example, yeah. <laughs> and I get my annual payment, you know, from yes. from uh, Pipe up front, and then one of those ten cancels three months yeah. in. So what? What? How does? How do we handle that? That's the exact. That's the exact right question to ask. Um, and so what we do is we, you know, part of how our system works is we'll allow you to swap in another contract, and so. What we will do, you talked about revenue-based finance. Hey, you can do three, four months of your ARR, I mean, your MRR. We kind of think about it the same way, right? We'll look at someone's ARR and what we'll allow them to trade is always a portion of that. You know, it can be 30%, 50%, kind of depends on the business, but we'll allow you to trade a portion of that in part because what we expect to happen is if you have a churn, that you're going to swap in another contract in there to match those cash flows that you had committed to. Um, and so we have some technology in the back end that does that matchmaking for you. And you can just kind of turn it on automatically. We do allow folks to sort of 
pay back early if they need to um, and, yeah. and get out of those. Um, that's the other option you get if someone churns, but typically our customers will just swap in another contract. That, that margin is safety given. Yeah, no, that makes sense. There's another uh, question coming in from the audience. I like this one actually. So pipes, your ideal customer, you've said subscription businesses. Do you care if they're a subscription business selling to consumers, selling to SMBs, selling to enterprises? Does yeah. Um, so it's, we have all across the gamut. I think that's one of the things that honestly, I don't want to call it a surprise uh, to me when I joined, because I think that the team was quite aware of it when I joined. But, you know, we, it's, I would say, you know, traditional enterprise SaaS is only about 50%, maybe even slightly less now. And so there is a wide variety of that. And, and part of where I think we're headed, quite frankly, against some of the other folks in the market is as they think international and, and try to stay within a certain vertical. We want to be very wide in terms of the different verticals that we can service. We even acquired a company in the UK, uh, you know, earlier this year, which, you know, does this for the entertainment industry, right? And so, you know, you produce a movie, you sell it to a distributor, they go sell it to Amazon or something, and that creates a cash flow that we're allowing those folks to trade, right? So we want to be in a bunch of different industries. But as long as we can rate those appropriately and standardize it on our platform, we might have different rating models for each of those, but we would love all of those different types of businesses. Yep. Yeah, that's what I that's what I figured. All right, let's see. I'm checking our time. Well, there we are. 30 minutes in already, sir. It went very quickly. We don't have any more questions coming in. So with that, we will wrap. Brad, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. If folks want to, obviously, if they want to find out about Pipe, pipe.com, great domain name. Um, if folks want to keep up with you, are you on Twitter? Where, where should they look? Yeah, we're, uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter, Brad for Coffee. Um, it's probably the best place to follow us. Uh, obviously, at Pipe.com and any of the other uh, folks that we have. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, Brad. All right. Thank you. All right. And thank you for joining me. We have, once again this week, we have a couple of MicroConf locals coming up on June 21st. This is 2022, if you're watching this later. June 21st, we're in Chicago. And we're in Denver on June 23rd. You can go to microconf.com slash locals for more info and to get tickets and use the promo code onair10. That's O-N-A-I-R and the number 10 for $10 off. As always, thank you to Hay and Stripe for being our headline partners in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. It'd be amazing if you could tweet them at Hay and at Stripe and thank them for supporting independent SaaS makers. And with that, I will sign off and see you next time. Thanks for joining us.